that, of course, is Matt Pearson of our uh, West Franklin campus. And I hope you are taking advantage of all of the opportunities that we are trying to provide you uh, to enhance your Bible study as you uh, engage uh, in this very, very important discipline of Scripture. I hope, I pray, you're involved in personal Bible study. I hope that if I were to stop you, you would be able to tell me where you're reading and what Jesus is teaching you. The radical teaching of Christianity is that our rabbi, our teacher, is alive. And our rabbi has promised if you open up his scripture, he will meet you there and teach you just like he taught Peter and James and John and the early 12. I hope also you are involved in a group. It is paramount that you be involved in a group because the first person you lie to is yourself. Okay, you'll read a passage, you will say smugly, this doesn't apply to me. And if you don't have somebody around there, around you to call you on your stuff and go, oh yes it does, don't you remember last week when? Then you will miss the teaching that the Spirit has for you in that moment. Now, if you can't find a group, don't know, uh, okay, let me stop just a minute. Some of you are, are wincing right now because, Mike, I, I don't like groups. Okay, I just, I just don't like them. All right, let me tell you something. I don't either. Okay? Which is God's way of telling you to start one. Start one that you would like. Start one with the people that you would like being around. I'm in a group Wednesday morning, 6.30. No, I did not pick that time. Okay, I'm in that group. I'm in a group of young guys that I really have, have learned to love and enjoy being around. Okay, I was with one of them. I asked him, I said, what group are you in? He says, I'm not in a group anyway. I said, why not? He said, I don't like them. I said, that's God's way of telling you to start one. And he said, what do I do? I said, I said, all right, you, you get your friends together and I'll teach it. He said, why would you teach it? I said, I got to teach what I'm telling the church to be in one. So I got to do something. I might as well be doing it with guys I like. Okay? If you are like me and you're going, I just don't like, I'm telling you, that's God's way of telling you, start one. Okay? You know another handful of people who don't like groups either because y'all talk about it. We don't like groups. Okay, that's God's way of saying y'all need to get together and the first thing you have in common is you don't like groups. And that's the way you get started, okay? Everybody has to be in a group. Everybody has to be studying with other believers to get the full, full measure of truth out of it. Nobody can, nobody can see it all. You need other people around you to see it. If you need help getting that started, find us at the Welcome Center. Uh, they're starting new groups. They're helping people find groups. All of our group ministers are out there, and so they'll help you find a connection that matters, okay? So, get in the Bible, get in a group. One of the parlor games that we have in the United States is contesting wills. Anytime anybody of any fame or any fortune dies, 
you can rest assured that the first reading of the will will not be sufficient. There's going to be a lawsuit. There's going to be court dates. There's going to be a time when somebody says, yes, your honor, we know what the person said in their will, but we don't think that's what they meant. Okay. Uh, one of the most famous ones was Leona Helmsley. Okay, y'all remember her? Uh, she uh, owned a bunch of hotels in, uh, uh, in New York City. She was known as the Queen of Mean. A bunch of stuff's been written about her. Uh, when she died, she left most of her fortune to her dog. Okay? <laughs> and, and, and we found out that the dog spending $100,000 a year for security. Now, 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 hold on. In the dog's defense, there were death threats. Okay, there were people threatening to take the dog out. So now we have $100,000 for this. But there are all kinds of people. Anytime, anytime anybody uh, of any kind of substance dies, you're going to have kinfolk that come out of the woodwork saying that I'm entitled to this or I'm entitled to that. I know what the will says, but that's not what they meant. Sometimes you and I read the scriptures the same way. I know what God wrote down. I know what he said. But I'm not sure that's what he meant. This is a very old issue goes all the way back to discussions with Jesus himself. John 5 tells us about one of those episodes. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you will have life. You pour over scriptures because you think you will have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. We pray, Lord, that we will not necessarily be students of the word as we are using the word to be students of you. And we pray this in your name. Jesus is in a heated discussion with some religious leaders that had challenged him about what Jesus had done. Jesus had healed the man, but he had healed the man on the Sabbath. 
Now, there were rules that the religious leaders were in charge of. There were rules that the religious leaders interpreted. There were rules that the religious leaders in, uh, enforced. And those rules were about what you can and cannot do on Sabbath. You can only walk so many steps on Sabbath. Uh, you can't uh, start fire. You can't do work on Sabbath. You can't start a fire, for instance. And if you go to Israel today... There will be in your hotel, Shabbat, Sabbath, elevators. Okay, because, and when you get on the Shabbat elevator, it, you don't hit any buttons. You just step on, the doors close automatically, they open automatically, and it will stop on every floor. Because that way, you don't press a button that starts the circuit. Because that's creating fire and a violation of Sabbath. Jesus had practiced medicine on the Sabbath. He had healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus asked them, do you think it is the Father's will that this man continue to suffer or that we keep rules about the Sabbath? This was a running debate with the religious leaders and Jesus. And honestly, you get the feeling that the religious leaders would have said, well, you could have waited 24 hours and healed him. And that would have been perfectly fine. A lot of times leaders make the mistake of being brave with other people's lives. And we don't mind if you would wait to keep the rules. After all, it's not hurting us. It may be hurting him, but it's not hurting us. So they argue with Jesus about the scriptures. Now, do you see the irony there? They're arguing with the author of the book about what the author of the book meant when he wrote it down. John is, is magnificent in the way he points this out. In fact, there are some who call John the gospel of irony, because he's always putting people in the middle of this discussion where it, it almost makes you want to turn your head funny because of the irony. You're arguing with Jesus about what the scriptures mean. And Jesus' answer, the scriptures mean me. The scriptures mean me. The scriptures are about me. The scriptures point to me. You say you study the scriptures. You say you read the scriptures. You say you know the scriptures, but you will not accept the obvious teaching of the scriptures. You will not follow the scriptures to their faithful conclusion in the person of Jesus Christ. I tell you this all the time. The reason we study scripture is to know Jesus better, not to be good on jeopardy. Not to know the trivial answers, but to know the fullness of Christ. 
So from the very beginning, there is a promise about a Savior who will come throughout Israel's history, year after year, generation after generation. That history is laid out. That history is played out. And that history leads to the birth of Jesus. That history leads to the death of Jesus. Because when you read Scripture, one of the conclusions that you cannot escape is we as human beings are in a mess. And it's a mess we can't fix. Somebody has to do something from the outside that changes us on the inside. And the only person that can do that is Jesus. That's where the scriptures go. And when you get there, it makes you rethink everything. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Wait a minute. Jesus, this teacher in Galilee, yes, he's the same one who was crucified. He was the same one who died for the sins. And now he's the same one who's been raised from the dead. That means you have to go back and reinterpret the life and the ministry of Jesus through the lens of the resurrection. The Beatitudes are not just beautiful poetry that you put on your refrigerator door. They are the standards of the kingdom of King Jesus. You rethink his life. You rethink the life of Israel. You rethink all of creation. All in the understanding or through the lens of the resurrection. Jesus says, the scriptures are about me. Now, throughout the New Testament you'll see people grab hold of Old Testament passages. Now, admittedly, I'm being very, very selective in the handful of passages that I have chosen for today. I could spend a long time, okay, reading the Old Testament and seeing how it leads you to Jesus. There, there is like a, years and years of sermon work there, especially if you read the book of Romans. Paul will quote big chunks of the Old Testament making his case for the gospel that he preaches. One of the earliest accounts we have of the resurrection in writing is in 1 Corinthians. Listen to how Paul writes it. For I passed on to you as of most importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. That he was buried and raised on the third day, according to scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then to five hundred brothers and sisters, many of whom are still alive, although some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Now in Galatians, Paul is writing his testimony, defending his ministry to the church in Galatia. And he says, I want you to remember that I did not get my gospel from anybody in Jerusalem. That Jesus Christ confronted me on the road to Damascus. I have seen the Lord. 
And after that, I spent three years in the desert, Syria, the Damascus, before I ever went to Jerusalem, working out who it was that I met on that road to Damascus. And here's the conclusion that I have, that he died according to the scriptures. Paul was a trained theologian, a trained teacher of the word, a Pharisee of the Pharisee by his own description. And his conclusion, Philippians 2, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that is one of those little of those phrases that we say a lot in church and becomes kind of uh, cliche. We wear it out because we never st- stop long enough to really think about what it means. Do you know what the word Lord means? Boss. Owner. Ruler. Now, we are in a very different context than the early centuries of of the world's history. So we do not have a context of a, a king or somebody in our life who would have absolute rule. Uh, we don't have any understanding of, of, of one man or, or, or as a king or one woman as a queen who could come in and take your children, uh, take your property, uh, order your death, and there would be no appeal. See, we're, we're used to rights and laws that protect those rights, and we have, we have court systems where we can plead our case Things just can't be done to us that way. So when we, when we translate the, the phrase, Jesus is Lord, most of us translate it, Jesus is consultant. Okay, we will listen to Jesus. We will give him a hearing, and he is a wise teacher, and we want to hear his insight. But we do not hear his word. As command. We hear it as suggestion. Love your neighbor. God oh, is beautiful. I'm not going to do it. But I know I should do it. Then Jesus isn't Lord. How'd you make your career choice? Was your career choice after prayer? This is what I believe the Lord has asked me to do. This is what I believe the Lord has called me to do. This is the place where I believe God is putting me, where I can make the biggest investment for the kingdom of God. Did you do that? Then Jesus isn't Lord. How about who you date? Who you marry. Where were you when Jesus gave you permission to take your relationship 
to the next level. If you don't have that, then Jesus isn't Lord. We are not the CEOs of our lives. We have been bought with a price. We are owned. Paul introduced himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. Someone who had been bought at the slave market when Jesus exchanged his life for Paul's. I don't make my own decisions. I go where I am sent. I go where the Spirit takes me. Paul said to the Philippians, I want you to know how the gospel has been spread because of my imprisonment. Now, Paul, you're not saying that it is Jesus' will that you be in prison. Paul would say, if that's what it takes to spread the gospel, that's the only place I need to be. Jesus tells Ananias, after Paul has been struck blind, Go lay your hands on Saul. And you tell Saul he's about to become the Apostle Paul. And you tell him about how he will suffer for my name. Now, uh, Mike, you're not saying, I'm saying we are owned. And if there's a situation where if we endure something, if we go through something, it spreads the gospel. It leads someone else to hear about Jesus in a way that changes their lives. Yes, we are owned. You see, the problem with most of our Bible reading is we get stuck not on the words of the book, but on the intent of the author. The whole book is about Jesus is Lord. If you don't come to that conclusion, if you don't live in that eternal reality, you missed the whole point of the book. Let's pray together. I'm not going to do anything to put you on the spot. I don't want to embarrass you. But I do want you thinking about your own life for this moment. About the relationship you have with Christ.
Is he Lord? If he's not, you've missed the whole point. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. You may want to know more about that relationship. That's fine. We don't expect you to understand everything. So you find us over here. Find one of our ministers over here at the Welcome Center. We'd love to have the opportunity to explain that to you, to answer your questions. Perhaps just to come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church. We'd welcome you into our family. You come. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do now, he's waiting for you where you are. The church, we'll wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now those choices and decisions we make are exactly what you want.